0: Hello, mother. Good
1: morning. (laughs) This summer trip
0: sucks, boys.
1: G'day, legends. I hope that you're having a fantastic day. Today's podcast is with Danny. Danny spent a number of months in Ukraine, both fighting and training the local forces. Thank you, Danny, so much for coming on the podcast with me. If you like this work and you'd like to support what I do, there's links down below, but never feel obliged. Thank you very much. Enjoy.
0: <laughs> no i mean it's like this
1: <laughs> danny mate thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and your beautiful dog behind you who's 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 the dog
0: <laughs> that's uh that's karma karma that karma
1: yeah some some dogs are are karma. Is karma good or bad?
0: <laughs> uh, she's a little bit of both.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. No, look, mate, um, thank you so much uh for joining me on the podcast. Um we've been trying to tee this up for a while and I've been stuffing you around, but I'm so glad. I'm so glad yeah. to meet up and do uh, this. can you tell us about yourself and I guess what your background is serving?
0: Yep. Um I joined the Marine Corps in ninety-nine. That Shows my age a bit. I turned 42 like this past July while I was in Ukraine. Um, Paris Island for a boot camp, then, um, went to Marine combat training, uh, Camp Geiger. Um, went to the Fleet Marines, served till 9 11 happened, of course. Then, um, a lot of people started joining up. I uh did one deployment i was um uh, with second marine division at camp lejeune in north carolina um got to see a little bit of the sandbox and after that i i got out while the getting was good i thought at the time oh right when when did you leave the marines uh late 04 yeah so i had when, when i went to ukraine i'd been out in the military for about 19 years believe it or not
1: oh shit yeah and, and how was that like transition, I guess, from being like, I've been out now, uh, two and a half years. How was that like transition back into that sort of environment? Did you slot back in or was it a bit like, Oh shit. No,
0: it, um, man, it was an easier fix than a lot of things I've done in life. Um, I, I stayed, you know, pretty, pretty recent on like the rifle range and pistol range and stuff throughout life, um, I grew up in south carolina and also texas so outdoorsman uh, you know hunting camping etc so um getting back in that in that groove was was actually like a round peg going into a hole
1: nice and what were you doing in that like 19 year gap
0: uh so i was uh when i when when the war started i was a broker in florida um made great money Sitting in an office and um, just relaxing, you know, surfing, taking life taking life as it came, man. And uh, I just seen too much crap on the news to where it kind of pushed me back to that direction to, to be willing to, to volunteer.
1: Yeah, I, I seem to get that a lot from guys that I speak to. Is they're like, I saw X event on the news. And for a lot of guys, I think it was like Butcher Erpene uh what like those you know massacres and the invasion into that area of you know north of keith that that was the trigger point for a lot of guys was that was there a specific point for you when you're like i need to go
0: yeah um it was a children's hospital it had been rocketed and and, uh just watching i'll never forget watching it in daytona and just seeing the the innocence and you know the tears the civilians and seeing that it was senseless and being told that he's targeting those places. Then it became not a war, but a massacre in a way. And uh, that that was one of the final things that pushed me over the edge.
1: And when was that? Was that right in the beginning?
0: Um, no. See, that would have probably been, I'm gonna say it probably about a year ago exactly now, right around maybe um August, September of last year. Oh shit, So a, like
1: a, a fair way into the conflict.
0: Yeah, a fair way into it. Um I'd watch a little bit of it, but you know, in my mind I'm an old man. <laughs> what am I gonna go over there and do? Um, it wasn't a war that I was really well versed in. Um didn't understand a lot of it and it it was after seeing so many civilians being you know targeted purposely that's when i started looking into the war and studying up on it finding out the background etc
1: yeah and then that drove you to go and and what was i guess your initial plans of going like with your family with whatever happened from there
0: um what do you mean like how did i tell everybody or
1: yeah and and like at What point was it like, right, I'm going and this is what I'm doing. I've got to buy this equipment, do whatever. Like, how did that all come together? Almost like the logistics of it.
0: Um, (laughs) it was kind of a shit show. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Um, I, I started looking into it and, uh, seeing that, that foreigners could volunteer, you know, and, um, foreigners could go fight. So I just, you know, figured I'd be a regular infantry guy and, um, I was down with that looking forward to it, uh. I had a BMW that I purchased, Um, you know, I owned it, it was paid off, I put it on Facebook marketplace, and uh, asked a a few thousand dollars less than the value of it just so that it would go quicker, and I actually had a guy drive from uh, Atlanta, Georgia down to Daytona that day to buy it, brought cash, because I told him, you know, I want cash first come first serve. And after I got that money, that's what I used to buy, you know, my plates, my plate carrier, everything else that I was going to need. And, um, told my, my mother, my 73 year old elderly mom, you know, like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to Ukraine. I'm going to volunteer. And, uh, she had been through it, you know, me, me leaving before when I joined the Marine Corps when I was way younger of a man. And, uh, she she handled it pretty well. She understood why I was going. She understood, you know, what what I believed in and what I wanted to do. And, and she was behind me. And um, within about a week, I had a plane ticket out of Fort Lauderdale and flew from here to to um, Amsterdam and then to Poland.
1: Oh, shit. First time that side of the world?
0: Yeah. Yeah, first time that side of the world.
1: Shit. It's different, isn't it? Like, between nights yeah, States yeah. and... Like, I think Australia and America is fairly similar feeling. And then I go to Europe and I'm like, well, it's like different humans here. It's a very different, especially like <laughs> East, Eastern Europe.
0: Right, right.
1: And what was your, like, expectation rolling in? And did that, like, live up to it as you, as you like, first crossed across into Ukraine?
0: Um, I, I, I didn't plan it very well. Like, I, I was kind of playing it by playing it by the... By my nuts, man, Um, and when, when I got into Poland, I'd spoken to a guy that had already gone over there and he told me what border crossing to use. And I, I remember stopping about a click outside of the border because I didn't know what I was going to go into. I didn't know if I was going to cross the border, be picked up by the military, immediately go. Like I, I, I had no idea the the logistics of everything. So I stopped about a click from the border, put on my, my uniform, my plate carry and all that. And then when I got across to the other side, luckily there was a, a banner up um that said International Legion on it. And it was two like 16-year-old kids there that <laughs> could kind of speak English. And um they asked me if I was a soldier, I said yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah. And I, I I spent like an hour there, then they Took me to uh an abandoned school and then from that point to another point to another point it just built until i was in training
1: Shit. and, and what did that training consist of um
0: like a refresher pretty much um I, we, we did cover things that i didn't do in the marine corps like uh like had a clear trench and things like that you know things that you use in this war that that in U.S. wars we haven't really had a use for Um, a lot of, uh, you know, rifle drills, live fire, um, clearing bunkers, clearing trenches, setting position, things of that nature.
1: Right. And how long was that period before you then rolled up to, like, missions on the front line
0: from there? So you, you train for about about a month and a half. Um, Then you would, you would deploy to the front. Um, Let me see. We started training about a month and a half, something like that. Then we deployed. So about from getting into Ukraine to a mission right around a little over two months, I would say.
1: Yeah. Right. So you've, you've got a fair, like a fair taste for the, Country and a refresher on training in that amount of time. Like, if you've done it before yep. to pick it up, that's pretty quick.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely.
1: Yeah. And where did you go from there? Did you, when you rolled out to the front, did you go if a year ago now, I'm thinking, I know there's a lot going up in Harkiv and Hurston, where, where, where did you deploy from I, there?
0: I was, um, I was probably about 30 clicks outside of Coupions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was mainly, you know, for a long time in Ukraine, you do a lot of defensive, you know, holding the line. You, you you go out, you're out there for about 48 hours, and you get a position, you hold it, and 48 hours later, you rotate out with somebody. Yeah.
1: And what was your first sort of taste of, of combat in that war?
0: Um, hold on one minute, I'm going to grab a water really quick. Yeah, for sure, dude. all right i'm back with you so um first taste of war would have been late february last year late february maybe even like the first week of march um just holding holding the line like i said the we were occupying an abandoned village um outside of coupiance and we would uh team up with these Ukrainian units they would send out a group of a you know a group of us from the legion paired with Ukrainian units we would go out do like a seven click infield to position you'd get position then you'd hold it um a lot of artillery a lot of drones things of that nature
1: yeah and how was the artillery because I, like a lot of the guys I speak to they just cannot believe like this she quality <laughs> of of the artillery going back and forth?
0: um artillery so that's something you know a u.s guy hadn't really had to go through before and it don't matter if you've done 10 tours in iraq afghanistan where, where you get mortared every once in a while things like that sure but but the artillery in ukraine is i try to tell people when they say that they want to go like just You know, be prepared. Like this is what you're going to have to deal with. This is going to be the biggest thing on you mentally. Is, I mean, Russia's got artillery. They have a large amount of it, and it's it seems like it's never ending.
1: And is it direct?
0: Uh, yeah. They use um. You know, they use the drones. That's (laughs) a lot of guys from this war. Hearing a Walmart, you know. $99 Ninety nine dollar Christmas drone is going to be something that that will mess with them for the rest of their lives. Is um, just that they, they you know they use drones, they use the live feed to to use you know as a spotter for the artillery, which will just keep it moving in until they get it on pinpoint. Um, a large large amount of it's direct, and and it's something that you got to be prepared for mentally.
1: Yeah and there's not much you can really do for that is there
0: no there's not there's uh you can, you can hold your breath and just hope that they miss yeah that's about it.
1: yeah fucking hell and how was the sort of first impression of that when you first went to the line of like what did you feel was it was it chaos was it just disaster
0: uh i mean it's it's a little bit of chaos i i remember uh we had this lieutenant, um, it was a Ukrainian lieutenant, on my very first mission. And they had just gotten in from bot moved, Um, and just seeing the way that he would react, because we would be, we had a, a position to my left with uh, my buddy Badger, and then me and Shaka were positioned on the right. And my buddy was with the, the Ukrainian lieutenant. And, like you would see him just pop his head out of his hole every once in a while and look around with eyes like that big around. And especially if he thought that he would hear a drone, which he thought often, <laughs> he, he would shh, shh, and point up and uh, then he'd pop back in his hole. And just seeing people, I mean, he, he had definitely been through a lot. Uh, his, his mind had definitely handled a lot. Emotions had, had been through a lot. And that was kind of like a, a wake up of where you were. And then that with the, you know, every three hours or so, they'd have a constant artillery barrage that would come in and go on for 20 minutes or so. And then they'd, they'd lighten up then peace for a few hours. So it's a, it's something to get used to. I don't think it's something you can be prepared for. Just something that you gotta hope you can handle.
1: Yeah, and were there many casualties like in those barrages? Were they successful with actually hitting guys?
0: No, um, not not earlier in my time in Ukraine like that. Um, later on, after I picked up the platoon IC job, uh, we held a couple positions that were just. I mean, you, you you've got these holes that you're at. And when you go out on mission, like they they've been under you know barrage after barrage, just to where the tree line, the woods around is just devastated. There, there's no cover. We could literally watch the drone feed and see my guys, you know, you see their helmets moving around and stuff, and and it's it's a wonder that that we didn't take more than casualties than we did.
1: Yeah, it's fucking insane. And and how was your impression? at least initially of working so you with the the legion but working alongside the ukrainians mm-hmm. how was your impressions of how i guess the legion was and as well as like the ukrainian soldiers
0: um uh, ukrainian soldiers great love working with them um I, I worked with the 92nd for for the, the majority of my time there Um uh, great guys man and, and a lot of them are coming from different backgrounds, like, you know, bakers and uh, delivery boy and stuff like that. And their their country came to a time of war and, and they stepped up. And, and that's one thing that I do love about them. Um, the Legion, also great group of guys, man. And I can honestly say in this war, I met some of the best men that I've met, like soldier wise. Um, a couple of them don't even have military background just volunteers that wanted to come do a job when when it was needed to be done and that's that's one thing that I love about the legion is that it's guys that don't have to be there they can be you know sitting on a beach in Florida if they want but um, they believed in something and they 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 went over there to try to try to fight for a cause um, does it have problems? Uh, Any military organization has problems, even the Marine Corps. Um, You got to take the good with the bad and uh, you got to make the most of it.
1: Yeah. Uh, The Legion has been a bit in the news recently for having a lot of problems with torture, murder, uh, some some terrible stuff that people not getting paid, like on the less end of that. Did you come across any, any, anything like that any like like proper mistreatment like there's i know i'm an infantryman myself and i know there's you know degrees of mistreatment in in things and belittlement whatever but to that sort of nth degree did you come across any of that
0: um now pay is an issue here and there um like me and my guys we didn't get our last combat pay for a bot mode. um I think that's more of like a I don't think it's an overall problem. I think it's more of like a a unit level, like maybe even down to I wouldn't say platoon, but probably company level. Um with the like torture and murder and stuff like that, I never came across any of that. Um again, I mean you, you can't push it off as like, well, that's going to happen in, in war, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, I mean, you're going to have that. It's going to be hit or miss. If you're with people that are, are psychologically stable, mentally stable and sound, or if you're with people that, you know, enjoy doing things like that and have the opportunity.
1: Hmm. You, know, I guess it attracts Those sort of people, doesn't it? You know, you and I both know the the military and the Marines. I've worked with a lot of Marines, um, and like the Australian infantry, it it attracts a certain type of guy. Um, yeah, and I guess in the Marines and us, it somewhat gets filtered through the recruiting phase, um, bloody whatever it's called, your um, basic training, and then you know, your further training. But even then, guys, guys leak through the cracks, and you you would have been in some units in the Marine Corps with guys who you're like, who the fuck is this guy with fifty knives? <laughs> uh, everyone, everyone has the knife guy. Um, and I guess the Legion, you know, where it's you could probably speak on this further, but there's not that much filtering of guys. Like I know there's a few interviews and whatever, but it's it's not. It, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not to the extent of like the assessments the Marine Corps would do.
0: Yeah, no, it, it, I think it comes down to more of a a need and a necessity to where they don't they don't have the time or the means especially during a war to to vet it like you're talking about you know and and filter it through uh they do have a couple of interviews um they prefer if you're prior military that you bring your paperwork like for the us of dd-214 things like that to just show who you are show what kind of service you've done um other than that though i mean they don't they don't really have the capability to to, to bet you too yeah. thoroughly yeah
1: and how was the relationship between the uh legion and the ukrainian units
0: um good uh we, we we got along with our our units that we worked with very well um a lot of them you know trusted us completely and we trust them you know you you're coming into these people's home country and their land and you're working with their military in their war so if if you don't have some level of trust going into it then then it's not going to it's not going to work out well um so yeah I, me and my guys we got along great with our counterparts
1: yeah, yeah yeah and when was it i guess you got into like the most heavy combat you mentioned bakhmut and around that time we know bakhmut was a massive urn of everything going on. It still is like, I I think this war, I think in, uh, 50 years time, we will look at Buckmoot like a Stalingrad. Like, I think, I think it will be that for such a small city, it will become so synonymous with a war. Like people will think of Ukraine and think of Buckmoot. Um, I think more people could say Buckmoot over Kyiv at the moment, um, how was like that when was like the most intense fighting you got into
0: um so i got wounded going into bap on uh, august 8th um Bot Mood, and and Bot Mood, it was my first time going into bap uh we were on a night assault uh going to go try to capture positions on that on the outskirts and right i mean on taking the armor in you could hear the Artie hitting before we even got out of the armor. And then when it stopped and we disembarked, grabbed our packs and started to split up, we had two assault teams that were moving in. Um, man, it was it was probably like half a click in that we just started taking such heavy artillery that, I mean, you could barely move. And I was with the first assault team. And when we had pushed forward trying to move up this road, it's <laughs> During the briefing, they they informed you, you know, the the field to your left is mine. Don't go in the field. The tree line to your right is mine. So don't go in the tree line. So it's like, so we just stay in the road, huh? Just stay in that road, just keep pushing forward. And uh, uh, I had rounds hit near me and this uh, 23-year-old kid from the UK, Blaze. And I took shrapnel on my left calf and went down in a in a crater when that blast knocked me down. It was right by a burned out armored vehicle, and my knee went down. Um, did a number to my knee; it swelled up instantly. I uh, had a few puncture holes in my calf, and and that was the end of the assault for me. Um, Bakhmut. Now I, I never got to see the inside of Bakhmut. You know, it had already fallen before we even moved down to that to that area, but like you said, it's going to be one of the main things in this war that people look back on. And and when you talk about the Ukrainian Russian war, Bakhmut will come up just like Fallujah and Iraq.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think we will we, well, think I know that we're going to see a second battle of Bakhmut, like because, okay. you know, Wagner PMC pushed through it and captured it. And then the VDV and Ukraine's going to push back through there at some point, And, it's not flattened like it like it's just the city is completely destroyed don't get me wrong but there's some new images came out only yesterday and there's still enough there to have a ground war Like, and it's going to be unbelievably savage when ukraine pushes back through it's going to be like the first time but worse
0: yeah the 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 rubble and everything around i mean it's and there's still like you said there's there's enough of the infrastructure left like the buildings and whatnot to where I mean, it's going to be urban. It's going to be a lot of CQB and just things that are not good for combat.
1: No, especially when you know, as you know, like urban warfare, you know, doesn't favor like armored vehicles. It's going to be guys out there with with guns. Like, yeah, Ukraine has the advantage on the armor at the moment, or at least in quality with the new stuff. But none of that matters if you're just out on foot. Like, it's going to be who can get on the trigger first.
0: Right. Right. Who sees who's first and who's the better shot? That'll be about the end of it.
1: Fucking oath. And how was um you said when you got hit by that um shrapnel from that Arty shell coming in to Buckmood, how was the um you said there was a British British bloke with you, Blaze or Blake? How how did it was Blaze?
0: There- uh Blaze now because you know it's important to keep your space in um so that one shell don't take out two people, which this is a prime example. Uh Blaze was blaze was walking in front of me he might have been point i think i think he was on point point. and then when we started taking the fire um we we held for a minute during the incoming then we started moving again when i got hit uh blaze did keep trying to come help me I'll, I'll give him that brave kid uh he was in the military in the uk but um uh, my captain gave the order for us to pair back up with the second assault team. So when we started falling back, just because I was moving slower than Blaze, I ordered him to go up in front of me. And uh, the whole way out, man, he he kept yelling back to me, "Text, text, you all right, you all right? And uh, then we get back to this tree line that's mine, keep in, my, in mind. And we're trying to hide underneath these little, like, twigs. And you can hear the one drone overhead, so we're radioing in, you know, is that friendly? Is that friendly? Then by that time, here comes another drone, and then a third drone. So you got three drones up above us. Already that's just getting walked in closer and closer. And and uh, we get word that, yeah, that drone is, that is a friendly drone, but at that point when there's three of them, it's, well, you know, which one? Which one's friendly? So, uh, and then we sat there and just got shelled for a bit until the armor came back in. Armor got us. And we
1: withdrew. Fucking hell! Oh, it's good that he's all right. <laughs> yeah. And and how were you feeling at that time? Were you like, "Holy shit! Like this is this is it for me?" Or is it, you know, you still no? <laughs> um,
0: I if, when you say this is it for me, do you mean like done with the war,
1: or oh no, meaning like you thought you were going to get smoked in that tree line?
0: Oh well, I mean, artillery. <laughs> Artillery's psychological too, a big part psychological, because you hear that the actual you know fire boom off in the background. And yes. you can already say like incoming, and then there's that wait period to where you're just sitting there, just sitting there and, and you hear that sh- coming in and it's a butthole clincher. <laughs> the best way that I can put it, is it, it is definitely a clincher. Um I I don't think I've ever been at the point to where like I thought, oh my God, like we're gonna die. Um, a lot of the guys from that night, just because the way the assaults went in the the area of the front that we were we were assaulted, said, you know, it's a lucky thing that we did pull out because we'd all be dead. You realize that, right? Um, so I. I don't know. I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. It's, it's a different war. It is a different war. Yeah.
1: And was there any, any points you came like face to face with the Russian soldiers?
0: No, that I've not done. Um, other than, you know, there are a couple POWs that, that, uh, units that we work with took. Um, it's, that's the one thing about this war too, is that, or at least me and my war, it was more of a World War I, you know, you're, you're stuck in a trench, you're firing pop shots back and forth, uh, that and mortars and artillery. But now as the, as the platoon I see, I did send out missions to where, and it was before we left the Kupiansk area, that our positions, like I was telling you about earlier, ones that have been just devastated to where there's no trees around and anything, um i've had missions go out uh let's see mailman call sign, call sign yado and jarvis uh the three of them their position got overran we were watching on the drone feed because like whenever i would send out a mission 48 hour mission i'd try not to sleep i'd try to stay up stay on the radio just in case like we needed already something like that called in well, we're watching the drone feed me and the Ukrainian captain and the little CP and the drone goes over and there's no tree line at all. Like I said, it's devastated. And they back the drone up and we're looking and you can see about eight Russians, 50 meters out, man, 50 meters out, sneaking through the trees right before it comes up mm-hmm. to an opening. And um, I radio into to Jarvis Jarvis is a 21-year-old German, great kid. But I radio into him for them to tree line to the left, three to five shot bursts, open up, then hold fire. And so they look over, they, they open up, they give a little burst, they hold fire, and I'm sending a, a voice note to my captain. And I've got this audio, I can send it to you, but uh, Jarvis comes over the radio and you can hear the machine guns going off in the background when they opened up on them. Sure enough, the Russians saw they had been spotted. So they started firing and that turned into a, probably like a four hour battle. Um, We ended up losing that position that day. Uh, We had to fall back. One of my guys was reported wounded at first, reported 300, and then, We got reports that he was actually KIA, but then a few hours later he turned up with a Ukrainian unit that had, had found him, scooped him up and and brought him back. Yeah.
1: Lucky boy. And you were watching this happening like live feed through the drones and like sending information through.
0: I feed and, and that's a, that's a helpless feeling. Um, you know, a lot of these guys, I'm old enough to be their dad, like literally. And uh, when I came to Ukraine, I didn't want any kind of responsibility. Um, even when they got me teaching CQB during, uh, training back in, in Western Ukraine, they, uh, one of the instructors comes up and he's like, you're a section leader here. And at first I was like, no, 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 no." like I'm not doing that. I don't want it. I don't want responsibility. I don't want it to be on me. Like if something goes wrong and, uh, they assured me, like, no, no, you'll, you'll be fine. It won't carry over to the front. It'll just be while you're here. So then uh, I deployed to the front. Within two days, I'm a squad leader. Then, like, three days after that, I got on a mission. I come back. They made me the platoon 2IC. And then a month later, I'm the platoon commander. <laughs> so just it spiraled quickly. Okay. But um, a great group of guys. Um when you're when you're watching that on the drone feed though, to to back up to what you asked me, uh it it is a big feeling of, you know, I can't do anything, what can I do? And that's the one difference that you can easily notice between an American war and what I was used to and trained with to, to being out there is watching like that position get hit, watching them have to fall back from position. I, I can't call in a, an A-10 or, you know, anything like that to help them. It's pretty much, you know, try to do what you can logistically with your Ukrainian counterparts and, and just pray that you can get them home.
1: Yeah, and I guess yeah. that is too for the, for the medical aspect as well. if there's no Medivac. Yeah. You know, like as far as like hazvac, like Chopper, that's not coming in. You, you're yeah. very much on your own out there. And I, I think you I might ask you to speak on this that a lot of people are turned away from this war because they go there with this thought that it is going to be a war. Like the West is fighting with everything from like the HR department through to fucking fighter jets and Kazovac and all this. And you're like, no, 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 This is two, this is two armies um, going at it, which you can't have those aspects. And this is an army that is, you know, not as fitted out as, as the Yanks.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, people that think that there's going to be medevac and stuff like that. There's not. Um, will they get you out? Now, they, I don't want to make it sound like they just leave you out there. Uh, with with my platoon, I mean, there was a time that we, we had a man get hit. And, in fact, on on the, the day the position got overran that day, too, that we would send out a QRF because you have a quick reaction force on standby, you know, at all times. Uh, you, you have a roster at – just rotates, and um, you know, we would send out a, a QRF to try to get to the wounded personnel, get them out, or whatever we needed them for. And on the way in, that QRF will start getting hit so bad that it, they would take wounded, or it would just be too heavy a shelling for us to keep moving forward. With the QRF, and you'd have to pull them out or lose more guys, and um. I'd say the, the worst aspect wounded wise is that some of the times, I mean, realistically in Ukraine, you might have to wait till after nightfall before we can get anybody in there too, yeah. Um, of course, it depend on, you know, if you're heavily wounded, they might try something a whole lot riskier, but if if you can be stabilized, you might have to just suck it up for 10 hours. <laughs>
1: And is there ever like a commander to command a ceasefire across trench systems to come and get guys out or collect your dead?
0: You mean with Russian and Ukrainian?
1: Yeah, because I've heard of a few. I've heard a few instances of, of that, but I'm just just asking from from your. Yeah,
0: no, I mean I've seen it in the movies before, but I, I don't I don't think that happens in Ukraine. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Fucking wild. And how, how is your <laughs> feeling towards? The russians like is it is it one of is it one of hate is is it hate towards the soldier or the political system or is it just the war
0: i think it's really the leadership if you want my mm-hmm. just honest opinion um i mean looking at them as the enemy because they are the enemy i mean there's no there's no foggy line there but i mean a, a lot of them that that you've seen like some of these POWs and stuff you understand they're just kids they're conscripts they're they're forced to fight they don't want to be there um they'll, they'll lay down a weapon surrender as quick as they can so you you feel bad and you you have the human side come out at that point but then i mean there there are the others there are the diehards there are the ones that believe that they're they're for the right cause doing the right thing and and we'll we'll keep going to the end. So you got to got to look at the Wagner type on one side, and then the conscripts on the other. But at the end of the day, it's it's who you're fighting. I don't think it's I I don't think it's a hate or a you know any kind of aspect like that in the field. It's just staying alive, and keeping yourself alive, keeping your buddy alive. And if that's what I got to do to keep alive. And, keep him alive, then, then that's what I'm going to do.
1: Yeah. That, that, and that makes complete sense as well. Um, yeah. especially I think as a foreigner going in and for those guys, you know, those like POWs who were, you know, young lads, um, conscripted or, you know, chucked in the deep end. Is, is there a level of sympathy towards that of like, cause I guess once the, once they've surrendered that they're, they're, you know, they're, they're now there. Um, is there a level of sympathy, like these poor fuckers, man? Cause I, I have a level of sympathy, especially for like the, the, um, the conscripts in any war for any country, the conscripted guys. Cause I'm like, holy shit. Like I'm, I have military training myself, but imagine if you were just picked up off the street, 17, 18 right. into like, and I've been in nothing even close to like what the soldiers are in there. Like you know, i have be at the front lines, a journalist, but it is, it is different. Um, is there a level level of sympathy there for them? I guess once they're captured as peered ups?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I have, just like you said, I can't imagine just being a kid and being, you know, yanked up either from your parents or because you're, you know, a, a runaway or something like that and, and thrust into a uniform with a rifle and said, go. Uh, you, you hear these stories about, you know, Russia barely even training guys or showing them how to use their equipment and stuff, and literally just throwing them out in huge numbers because they realize, you know, if we send a hundred and five of you make it, then hey, five of you made it. Um, so the human side, I mean, yeah, it it, it does feel you know feel horrible for people like that, but like I said a minute ago, I mean, it, at the end of the day. If it's my guys or them, then, you know, in a heartbeat, I'm going to pick them in a heartbeat.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and how was you witness, I guess the treatment of these POWs?
0: Uh, I've never seen any, any really mistreated. Um, the only ones, the only POWs that I've really come into contact with were ones back in our, our village that were captured near the positions that got overran. Um, before we went to Move, Russia was really starting to pile troops up in that Kupiansk area, uh, just, you know, trying to push back and I guess retake Kupiansk. But, um, I mean, for a very small amount of time, the POWs were there before they were turned over for questioning and things, and, you know, after that, that's above my level and I never saw them again.
1: Yeah, sure. And you asked, uh, sorry, you said about, you monitoring the drones as you know calling guys in the front line how from your experience you know previously in in the military to now how important is that drone aspect of warfare and how do you think that's changed things
0: um drones have changed warfare and it'll it'll never be the same again um it 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 gives you that live i mean you know, back in World War II, Vietnam was the first war that was kind of televised, and we actually got to see what was going on, and then it, it's been like that. All wars have been televised, Desert Storm, everything, to where you you get to see what's happening on the front, but until this war, you've never had that, you know, front row seat to where you can literally watch through the movements. I spotted that. Russian patrol coming in on my guys. I I got to see where artillery's hitting so that we could try to adjust fire a little bit. Um, I think now that we've opened this door and they've figured out how to use this technology for the means that they're using it, I don't I don't think war will ever be the same again.
1: No, I, I agree, and I don't know where war changes from here. Like I, I honestly can't think of any single like weapon system that has come into battle. And I'm thinking back to like the bloody, when you have had a fucking sword that has made this much of an impact on the front line, like maybe a crossbow, but like, it, it just seems, it just seems like such a thing that could change the dynamic of war. And I I posted in my telegram group today, like if with these cheap drones, they're, they're accessible to anyone, really anyone in the world, how the hell are we going to do stuff again? Like... If we went to Iraq or Afghanistan and the Taliban or IS, or one of these had next time we go somewhere like that, they will have a shitload of these drones. They know they work. And you know, I've, I said, I think in one of my posts in the last couple of days, I was speaking to a good mate of mine, um, ex-regiment guy who was like, Mm. we lost 42. If, if it was now we would have lost 420 because. Those drive that would be the first thing is the drones, and there's no real good way to counter them. I, was there any way you guys countered them?
0: There, there, there really no there. There is no way to counter them, and like you're saying about, you know, losing 42 or lost 420. It's all uh, reconnaissance movements, you know, sneak and peek patrols, stuff like that. Those days are kind of done. Uh, you, you get thermal drones in the sky. It don't matter what you're doing. It don't matter how great your camo is and how slow and silent you are, you're going to be seen. And that there's no way to get around it. Um now I've heard of people using shotguns, things like that. Uh the main thing with a drone, if you can is stay hidden, to not be seen. Uh if you're if you're at a position, get inside the hole bunker, whatever you want gonna do. Um but just don't, don't, don't let it see you. Because once it sees you, I mean, it's over with. Um, other than shotguns, I, I really don't know too many ways to try to counter them. And I haven't even really heard great experiences on shotguns really doing anything for them.
1: Yeah, well, even a shotgun. Like I'm, I'm sure you've gone, um, like shooting clays before, like. Mm-hmm it's not and they move a hell of a lot slower than a bloody drone does and (laughs) close like you know you you might be shooting clays at what 80 to 120 feet i don't know something like that like (laughs) and and a drone Uh can sit so high
0: yeah so high and, and far off too um that's another like the drone screens that we have it's like you know on a plasma tv and it's a bunch of little boxes and each little box is a different drone feed that you can click on. So you click on this one, and that's the thing with a drone, even if you shoot one down, shooting down that drone, I assure you there's gonna be 40 other drones in the immediate vicinity. And they're just gonna route one right over that area, and now they know that you're there. So that's why I say with a drone, I better to hide if you can. If it don't know you're there, that's that's the best way to to counter a drone.
1: Yeah. And what is it that you've seen in your experience that Ukraine need the most to support them in their effort?
0: What they need the most? Yeah. Mm. (sighs) (laughs) That's a question. Um, I think that, and this is going to probably put my foot in my mouth, I think that some of the times, or at least the impression that I've gotten on the front, like during the offensive, it seemed like they would have things to spread out. Like if say, like if I was able to actually call in artillery in this area, then I wasn't gonna have any kind of meta vibe or I, I wasn't gonna have some other thing that needed it's like artillery's over here a little bit of air support's over here, your medevacs can be over here in these different regions. If they would just coordinate things, it seems that that might help more. If we're talking gear-wise, I mean, more armor and and more accurate artillery, For our missions up in the Kupiansk area, like we would have a a map with just kind of like reference points, like, you know, the train tracks over here with the bombed out building over here to the right flank of the position. And so if you're calling in trying to get artillery to hit somewhere, you're just telling them that area. It's not like calling in an actual grid and getting artillery sent to where you can pinpoint it. I think that if uh, if there was a way for them to get the training through foreign governments, um, working with artillery teams and teaching how to call in RD would 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 make one hell of a difference in an artillery war.
1: Yeah, yeah, because like everything there seems to be artillery. Like seventy five percent of the casualties, both human yeah. casualties and vehicle um, like kills, either M kills or full kills, tend to be artillery it seems so important that that is the best
0: it can be yeah artillery and mines um mines is another big thing that wounds people but yeah if and i'd stick with that answer if if they could just get their arty teams more direct more pinpoint i think that would really make a huge difference because russia's the same way they've just got these stockpiles i'm guessing from the the cold war era and in their mind, like, we can shoot artillery shells all day and just lob them at you and they hit wherever. And, I mean, with some of their the places they hit, like civilian markets and stuff, maybe they're doing that or maybe they are just trying to pinpoint it at targets of that nature.
1: Yeah, it seems, and I was speaking to a guy in the trench when I was over there, and he's like, man, the Soviet Union prepared to have back-to-back world wars because they were convinced that was going to happen. And they just pumped right. in a heap of like cheap shit that was easy to fix and whatever, uh, but the, the amount of stuff they just made was immense. Like while we were focusing on the technologically advanced stuff, they were like, well, you've got one of these really good things. We'll just make 50 of these sort of shitter ones. And you see that with like the artillery, you know, their right. guns are nowhere near like a 155, you know, howitzer, but they might have 10 to one. Um, they got a bunch that's yeah. right and and that's what everyone sort of talks to me about is it's like it's accurate by numbers like each one is not yeah. accurate but you fire 10,000 shells in a direction one's hitting a target somewhere
0: right uh, it's it's you know it's an odd it's a numbers game is you shoot enough you're going to hit what you're shooting at and um, when I went to Ukraine when, when I arrived there last year I uh, I honestly, was telling people I like, I think this war will be over by next winter. I'm talking about like now, right around now, and um, like I really think you know we'll have the big push. Russia will throw like one last wave, like everything, like no holds barred. Time to win it. And and now like serving there for for the nine months that I did, uh, my honest opinion, which I'm no strategist, but I feel like this war is going to go on for years unless unless somebody steps in somebody tries to put an end to it this war is going to be an unending war for for years to come
1: yeah and, and yeah. Why, do you, why do you feel that just because we're not seeing much movement that it's even or
0: oh uh, man the, like we were talking about the soviet air weapons and stuff the stockpiles that russia has they're they're not going to run out anytime soon they might have tried that that thing with the Victory Parade where they had that one tank rolling down the road. <laughs> but but if people think the rush is out, people have a, a rude awakening coming. And with the line, I mean, if you look like, if we gain a little bit of ground down near Botman area, then we're losing a little bit in like the uh area. And it's just like a, a constant back and forth to where there's no one side just pushing, 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 gaining ground, keeping it. We gain a little bit, then we lose it because we're gaining it somewhere else. Yeah. And it, it's like a stalemate, pretty much.
1: Yeah, well, that's what it looks like. You see down in like the Zapoblast, where Ukraine's having the success near Robertini, Vobove, but then up in the Northeast, Russia's having success. And it it literally seems like Ukraine will get a kilometer, Russia will get a kilometer. And it's just, I think it's just a shuffle of soldiers. Like Ukraine's like, right. we need to make a push, bring some soldiers down. And then, of course, that's weaker. And then it just it just seems – yeah, it just seems so stagnant there. Um, I think,
0: yeah. When they were talking about moving us down to Bot Moon area, um, when was this, probably around May-ish, maybe late April. I think it was May, though. But uh, like I said, that Russia had started building up troop strength near Kupiansk because uh, we would keep track of the maps. Jarvis, my, the, the German guy that I had, he was my admin NCO, and he would keep track of a lot of the maps and you know troop movements. And we're watching them build up, build up, okay. build up near Kupiansk. And I kept saying, like, I don't think they're really going to send us the bomb move, guys. Like, everybody relax. They're going to need us up here because what sense does it make to pull us down there when Russia's building up here? because then they're going to need people up here. Sure enough, uh, we go down there. The When I got hit, what was it, three days later, so around the, the 11th or so, I was being moved to Kharkiv. And on the way out, we had to run up to our village in Coupions, outside of Coupions because of mandatory evacuation. Coupions was under evac. Um, we had to get the rest of our gear and stuff out of the village there and because we were, you know, pulling out and giving it up. And when you're riding through Kupiansk, the, the few civilians and stuff that remained in that town, they're on the street corners waiting on these big tour buses to pull up because Russians are five clicks out and they, they're they lucky to have, you know, a suitcase with them. And, and when you see things like that, it just, that's why I say it, sometimes the strategy confuses me because we gain a place just to give it up. Um, kind of like the hills in Vietnam, it was so important to capture this hill. And then they'd capture it, and then, you know, a week later, nobody's on that hill.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it does. It, And I think there's a lot of strategists around the world scratching their head, being like, "What, what is going on here? Um, you know, why aren't we focusing in one area and trying to make a breakthrough down to 30-ounce uh, Melitopol where people have thrown other strategies to so like because we can sort of happen like we in and grind down the enemy without actually having to take much ground but it it's one of those it, i think that's a big gamble like i think there's a big gamble on uh gambling that russia's going to run out of political will men artillery and bullets um i i think that i think of course we don't we don't have all the information available to us you know this is Top. top secret stuff but but just my gut feeling is like russia prepared they they're so um they've been paranoid like the soviet union through to russia it was paranoid that we were on their heels to invade and and it was, this is the reason they invaded ukraine was they were paranoid that ukraine was going to become nato and next thing we're in moscow which you and i both know is never going to happen yeah. but i'm like they just built so much shit um that it may suck, but there's so much. And it's, if North Korea get involved, people, we like to laugh at North Korea, like, especially like America, because it's like, oh, look, we have 5,000 nukes and they've got one shit one, but <laughs> they, North Korea, a dictating state, a, dicta- a state with a dictator, they can just mobilize everyone to just build shells. Like this, that's the one thing that like America can't do. If America was like, everyone go in and build shells. Fifty uh, percent of Americans be like, fuck off, <laughs> like, yeah. like, where you know North Korea, you know, that's getting sorted out now, and that could fix a lot of Russia's issues with supplying shells. So that could be a problem when we're talking about just the amount of body on the front line.
0: Yeah, um, I don't think it, it'll ever come to to bullets being a a big killer and issue in this war. It's definitely artillery. Um, if other countries like, you know, North Korea or China or somebody were to get involved then there, there would be no, nothing we could do, really. Um, that's why I don't understand, like, why, I, and I, I, I get that it's much more political reasons and things like that that I'll never understand. But I, I think that people should have stepped in long ago in this war and mm-hmm. put an end to it one way or the other. And until somebody does, I don't, I don't see an ending coming anytime soon.
1: Yeah. I, I sort of think the time to have done it was, I guess, when you first got into country, when Ukraine had the successful offensives in uh, Kharkiv, Kherson, that cleared mm-hmm. way more territory than this whole counter-offensive has in the yeah. That when you had Russia on its heels, that was probably yeah. the time for the West to have stepped in and gone, right, we're pushing back now uh, yeah. i think the longer we leave it the more difficult and are you in texas or florida now
0: uh, i'm in florida right now florida
1: right now how yeah how is the sort of feeling amongst i guess your friends and your peers and everything for this war like florida's a, a red state and it, it is red state at the moment isn't it yeah under desantis yeah. um and we know the republicans especially like desantis as very like not wanting to support Ukraine any further. How's, like, an American there? Do you feel that sort of um, push?
0: So, man, it it surprised me coming home, uh, just seeing the amount that you don't see on the news. Um, it's, from what I understand, like, my friends telling me, and they were telling me while I was over there, too, that, you know, at first when I went, like it, Ukraine was on the news every night. That there was something about the war, but that it's just kind of died off. And to be honest, since I've been home, I think the only time that I've really seen anything about Ukraine on TV was like twice. And one of them was because it was when Zelensky was here and uh, going around and speaking to Congress and things. Other than that, it 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 kind of seems like we're trying to pull the sheets over our eyes uh because either we were afraid to get involved or whatever reason we just don't want to see bad things on the news something but um it's 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 kind of been brushed under a mat here i feel like
1: right and do you think that will affect i guess the elections next year like do you think that's one of the big things americans will be really like people that are pro-ukraine pro you can, you can be you can be not for Ukraine without being pro Russian, I guess. Like you can just be like, I want the money spent in America. Like, I think there's a whole spectrum of support. Um, do you think that's really going to affect the way, like when you talk to people of where they're going to see it? And was anyone like against you? Like when you said I went and fought for Ukraine, were there people in like Florida being like, Oh, you're a mercenary. You fought wrong uh, like
0: that. I've never had it like face to face. Somebody like, approach me with it um but online on social media definitely um i'd you'd be surprised at the amount of of americans that don't you know want me over there don't think that you know, comments like that the real war is going to happen here back home buddy Or the problems are here yada 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 uh the mercenary thing of course a lot, a lot of people which and i'm just talking about people in general like foreigners Mostly, they bring up the mercenary thing, say that I'm over there doing it for money. And, uh, when I was a broker, you know, a good month I could make about eight grand a month. Uh, that's, that's like two thousand a week. People don't understand when, like the Legion, I made about thirty three hundred dollars a month. And out of that thirty three hundred dollars, like you're you're paying for your your gear, your your fuel, anything like that. So at the end of the month, you're lucky to have a couple hundred dollars left, and with the American people, I, I believe that the majority, uh, the majority of the side that don't want us over there, don't want anything to do with it. I don't think that it's too huge on like one side or the other. A lot of them aren't well versed in either side. Um, I think it's more of a after the twenty years that we spent in Afghanistan and you know the the eleven or so I ride, they're just afraid to get roped into another war. And that's their main concern is just trying to keep us at a peace time here.
1: Yeah. And I get that. Like, you know, you think about America in the past 30 years has basically been at constant war. Um, yeah. And I can, I can completely, you know, you have first Gulf War through Afghan, everything. I can completely get people being like, we just want a fucking phase where we're not at war. And yeah. I get people too, who may not be that versed in this this is a lot more scary war than like Afghanistan, you know, way more scary of like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, that, that war, that was not coming home, not, not in a big way, at least, you know, that the Taliban, were not going to have a nuclear weapon to, to hit a city where I can see right. where now I agree also I'm on the side that nuclear weapons are not going to come into play in this, but it's pretty easy to scare Manga on that side. And I think we'll see so much more of that. Um. But to become versed in this, like, 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 you know, you and I both follow this pretty closely. Once you sort of start scratching the surface, you realize how deep this runs, and you, you realize it's back to nineteen ninety one and twenty fourteen and all this. You're like, "Holy shit, this is so confusing of what's going on."
0: <laughs> I, uh, with Americans, though, in, <clears throat> in this war, I get that people want to phase, and and yeah, we have been at war for a long time, but like the reason I was able to get out of the Marine Corps and, and I was I was fine being done and then went to Ukraine is because for the first time in a long time, I believe that this is a war that we should be in. Um, this is, you know, a, a just cause. This is a foreign aggressor. This is somebody's boundaries being broken. And it, it's all the things that, that me as a Marine, I, I was taught to stand up for. And that's why... You know, when the opportunity came and I could do it, I went and did it. And I wish that more of the American people, more more of the the global community would just see that this, this is an unjust thing happening. And that if we don't stop it now, it might not be our war today. And that's here in the U.S. But I assure you a year and a half from now, it'll be your 15 year old son that's now 17 and he's going to end up going and yeah. that's why i think that, that people need to stand up and just get at in.
1: and it, is that something you think that the media get wrong like is there anything you see that people like me or you know online creators or the mainstream get the get wrong that you see that you're sort of like that's just not correct
0: uh like, like what what part are you asking
1: uh just, just like in the reporting you see like mainstream stuff is there anything you see that you just like that's just incorrect like where where you think they're not versed on on a particular subject
0: uh, not not that i can grab one like off the top of my off the top of my head uh I, I think that a lot of stuff isn't covered as much um i think that you know there's there's way more atrocities and things being done uh by by the russian federation that that isn't covered as much for some reason i don't know if it's i mean i know the news and the news likes to put on negative things because you know something bad happening gets viewers but uh i think that a lot of it is kind of turned away from if you will because we want to put bad on the air but we want to don't want to put too bad on there if that makes any sense
1: yeah yeah it's funny that it needs to still be palatable and i find this too like i i wish i could show the war like when i was there filming it's like what i'm seeing i can't put out because if i put out these videos of these dead bodies and this happening and that there's fucking chaos and what's happening if it's not palatable a lot of people won't like watch and relate so you sort of need to wear it where it is and bad news sells bad news sells than good news like if i put up a video tomorrow that said ukraine got, got this village or i put a video that said ukraine just lost all this pe- people would re- react more to that and the meat that's how the media get paid now like that it's yeah. with with yeah. Being paid off clicks that that's how it gets paid and it's it's sort of driving that extremism too. to one way like extreme bad news
0: right and i i just think a lot's covered up man and so be it, I was only in one small area of the front. Like I, I you know, I, either I was here or there. I put me in both places. But um, I, I feel like a lot more is going on in the front and just stories of me with guys that I served with at a point, but now they're with a GUR unit or they're over here with, you know, a different battalion. Just hearing stories from different parts of the front and and how things are, are being prepared for and things. I, I feel like... A bunch is gonna happen soon, but not enough to do anything, if that makes any sense at all.
1: Yeah, no, it does. It does. And I get told similar, like, yeah, you know, next week we're gonna have big things, but it's like but it's not enough. Like it needs to be massive, what needs to happen, like just a decisive action. Everything balls to wall.
0: Um, need a need a D Day. You need a D Day.
1: Literally. Um and at the pace you, so if you add up the average pace, Ukraine has been moving in the past four months, it's going to, I think it was 2086 or something is the year that it's actually going to be able to clear that territory at that pace. And it's, <laughs> Now I know, I know that wars, you know, it isn't just grinding one pace, but it's like, yeah, you can't have 0.01% cleared in three months. Like it needs to, and I keep waiting like every day I'm thinking today's going to be the day of like a D-Day style decisive full up up the front but i think there could be a a holding back too of a d-day action like that in such a public war there's going Mm -hmm. to be catastrophic um casualties too that will it be so bad that the media gets turned away like it's at that upper echelon if you're Zelensky, you're those guys sitting there you've got to balance this impossible balance of winning the war maintaining pr like that's hard like You got to push through somewhere, but if you have too many casualties, too many po dubs, then it it's it must be such a tight balance on that.
0: Right, right. You got to it's it's a warring. You got to sell it. Yeah, if you're going to have kind of backing in it, then you have to you have to show it's bad enough where I need help, but you got to show it's like I'm doing what I can though. Yeah, yeah. You
1: you mentioned about like these atrocities, and you went there to ukraine basically because you saw an atrocity as far as um yeah you said the uh, children's hospital i believe being hit Mm. um did you come face to face with any of these atrocities mass graves stories of torture things like this
0: um i that's one thing that i can't honestly say i never came into contact with it um just like the the marketing. Kosotinivka that we used to go get blinis and uh, schnitzel, schnitzel and blinis every day. It was like the one little, my, my little taste of like normalcy. And um, I was home probably about two or three weeks and it's it's a big civilian market. I mean, there, there's, you know, shops out there that sell everything from trash bags and socks to military gear. And uh, Russia hit that. And allegedly it was, you know, a planned attack. But it's just things like that, that instead of Russia picking military targets, which there's tons of them around that area, instead of them picking something that'll do some structural damage to the military and help the war, they would rather try to hit a market and, and cause mass civilian casualties. So, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have not come face to face with any of that while I was there.
1: Yeah. Did you ever get a feeling of like, Oh shit. Like th- the mix of military to civilian is a bit, bit far. Like I know in, um, uh, Kramatorsk when there was the restaurant hit and people will talk about it. I'm like, yeah, but if you like I'd been there multiple times and it was 95% military there, was there ever a feeling you had of like, you know, you're being held up in a uh building in a civilian area or whatever you think you shit. We might draw fire onto the civilian population here.
0: Yeah, um Yeah, like like when I was with the, the market, because it's you know, there's still a big civilian population in that area, but with with the troop movements and, and people nearby, like it's a huge military population now. And uh just being in places like that, you, you start to realize like this is a really good Target opportunity. Um, when we first moved to that area, when we were getting ready to do the assaults in the it, uh, we were staying at an uh, abandoned elementary school and um, lots of civilian buildings right around it. And after about, you for like a week, week and a half, we had SBU come to us and literally say that like, look, we've gotten word that this has been targeted. Um, somehow they know that you are foreign volunteers in this area. So we have to just tell you that we heard that it's been targeted. So we spent about an hour or two packing our crap and we got out of elementary school. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. Now between like your service of signing up to go and threat your combat experience and then getting injured and coming back. Did any of your opinions on Ukraine shift? Were there any moments you had, you had like a shift of opinions or loyalty or anything there?
0: I love them. Love them even more. Um, yeah. The Ukrainian people are are strong. Um, of course, you'll always have in, in any war, in any population, an outsider will be looked at as an outsider. So you'd have those occasional people that, they didn't really care for you, even though you're there to help them. But the majority love the fact that you're there. Love the fact that you're willing to volunteer to help them to to win their calls. Um, it's it's a beautiful country. Um, I I love it. I love Ukraine. I would love to go back there. Hopefully, I think it'll be probably about towards the end of winter before I venture back. I'm not looking forward to to healing up and then going and sitting in a frozen trench. So I, I might say, you know, through the winter, but, um, if, if there's still a war there and there's a need, then, then I'll be there to to try to fulfill it.
1: Yeah. Well, that was actually going to be my next question is once you heal up, are you, are you looking at, at heading back across?
0: Yeah. Uh, my guys, the, for the majority have all taken a break right now. Uh, right. they've gone to their home countries to go see family. Um I I do plan on going back. Um at first I was just gonna wait like a month or so. I was gonna, you know, put a lot of, of strain on myself and I was just gonna jump back over there and do whatever I could. But after being home for a couple of weeks talking to my guys, you know, and they're each of their different countries, I believe that probably around, you know, late February, early March is when I'm gonna venture back out
1: yeah oh there'll be good once you, we'll link back up I guess once you' once you're headed back across and see where you went up yeah I'm sure there'll be a war for you there mate I can't see it ending anytime soon <laughs> yeah now you mentioned before that Konstantinivka, um when that market was hit was mm. that the same uh attack there that was rumored to be the Ukrainian uh book missile?
0: Uh you're talking about just a few weeks back, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, that yeah. was the hit.
0: Oh, uh, I'm guessing. No, I I I'm not for sure. Um this was probably like three weeks back, four weeks back. Yeah. No, like yeah.
1: And oh, was was that the attack you were talking about, in Sensitivka when you were around or
0: No, I wasn't there. Was... I just got home. That that was the market that we used to go to whenever we had time so we go eat and just seeing something like that, uh, kind of gave me a wake up when I got home, like, holy crap, I'm there every other day.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and how's everything been, I guess, psychologically for yourself? Um, now that you're back, you know, you spoke in the beginning about this of, of seeing that other Ukrainian gentleman. you know, when you're in the trenches, like looking up and like yeah. drone,
0: how how's, <laughs>
1: you had any of that? How, how's that?
0: Um, not really like drone wise. I, Sleeping was rough at first. Um, confusion when you'd wake up, like I'd, I'd have dreams, to where like I and not like dreams about getting shelled or anything like that. I'd have dreams of just sitting around with my guys, bullshitting, and uh, you know, laughing, carrying on. Then I'd wake up, and I wake up, and I'm in a strange place. I don't know where I'm at, and then where are my guys at? Uh, there were a few panic, panic nights or panic moments when it came to things like that. Um, other than that, <laughs> there was a car that backfired the other day that caught me off guard. You know, just anxiety, nerve type things. Um, but for the most part, I'm I'm doing good. Uh, it's good being home. I'm just trying to enjoy it.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's good, man. And, and how did you see it amongst the other, both the foreign fighters and the Ukrainian fighters? Was there a bit of a, um like was the was the toll of the war wearing on them like it's been a long war and very intense that trauma is that sort of building up
0: uh with the foreign fighters it's i mean there's a high turnaround rate because you know you get the guys that come in that that have either been in the military in their country and they they are so sure about what they're getting into Um, and the guys that want to play video games. So they come in, they will go out on a mission or get that, you know, one hit that was just a little too close and kind of shook the wall and they realize like, I don't want to be here and they leave. Mm. Uh, for the ones like most of my team, um, people that have been there for a while, uh, the war is just the war. And until it's, until it's over with, I I don't think anybody's going to give up on it. Um, with the Ukrainians as well, I, I don't see any any you know anything done to their resolve that has been negative in any way. Yeah.
1: Oh, good man. Oh man, I'm glad I'm glad you're doing well and you know everything's sort of on the onwards and upwards. How how's the healing up? Is that going all right?
0: It, it's going great. Um the the hole is peeled over, the knee is pretty much good to go. Putting a lot of weight on it hurts, still got a light, slight little limp, but that's about it.
1: Oh good shit. <laughs> Getting back to it. Huh. And is that being is that covered under like VA or something? Are
0: you I, I can go to the VA and get seen. Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Well, mate, is there anything we haven't touched on that you'd like to like to have touched on? Um,
0: uh, not really. Not that I can think about the guys that I got. I mean a, a great group of guys out there, uh, volunteers that come in. Uh, the one thing that I do wish that could change is um, like I, I've got a I've got a guy. He was my platoon combat medic that, uh, you know, he's had some slight psychological problems adjusting, coming home. Uh, he was not prior military before Ukraine. He was a paramedic and um, he was one of the I, I told you about that position that got overran, captured by by the Russians. He was on that mission so he's seen you know some heavy fighting he's seen the russians face face he's had to end lives right in front of him and uh then when they go home they don't have any kind of coverage you know he don't have a va to go into he don't have somebody that he can go get medication to help him sleep and things like that so if if there's one thing that i could get across and that this podcast might help me in any ways that uh, i wish that there was some kind of coverage for the for the foreign fighters whenever they go home
1: yeah it'd be interesting with that like where that policy actually whose policy is not should it be under ukraine should it be under
0: yeah, exactly
1: with anything of this of so
0: tangled confusion but but uh that, that is an issue. And, and one thing you deal with after wars is you start losing guys off the battlefield that you didn't have to lose. And that's why I just, I, I think some kind of coverage or some kind of help, whether it be Ukraine or who mm. uh, that definitely needed.
1: Yeah. And I, and as you know, as a, as a veteran, I guess of, of the American military as well, you lose significantly more guys post conflict than during the yep. conflict um yeah way way more um we learn more. more every year every year yeah. than we did in the 20 years of afghan war and i'm guessing the states is the same um yeah and that that is good there was an article today actually from the kiev independent about about this about like the psychological aspect on young ukrainians of what's going on like and it's yeah. not just the dudes on the front line hitting it out it's everyone and not sleeping every- 18 months now almost two years it's going to be up in two years of being in a high stress environment like this that's wearing and if you're fuck, a kid through to whatever age that has a lasting effect and and you know that that affects a community as a whole moving for, like even if the water end tomorrow there's big fucking problems and how, how do you do that when it's a yep. whole country of has been put into that that trauma
0: yep that that the stress and never knowing when it's going to happen. And for civilians, for kids, that's, uh, that's something that I wouldn't want to carry around. I can tell you that.
1: Oh man, man, for bloody, for sure. For sure. Especially with no end in sight. You know, it's so much, so much, you don't know what's going to happen. Like your life is sort of in limbo of like, well, is the year you eventually going to kick us out? Is the support going to dry up? Like, you know, it's so much... There's so many unknowns, too. Look, there's so many... He's so wearing as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's... It's different. It's different. And now that it looks like funding and stuff might start getting a little bit harder for them to get, I don't know... I don't know the next steps that this war is going to take.
1: Yeah. I think it'll be very... It'll be so interesting, man. It's... it's you know, only in the past, I reckon, 10 to 14 days, the media shift on ukraine has been dramatic like there's been it's just felt this shift about i guess uh, money support whatever um i don't know if i'm just reading into this but it felt like there's been a shift and you know ukraine can't afford that shift like zelensky said himself like if the support stops we lose um yeah you know i knew guys moving javelins and stuff into the country um by contract and that was like man these aren't going into storage like we're not moving them in in the storage we're handing it to a dude to a day later a few days later it's been it's been (laughs) like like you know it's not that there's some big warehouse full of shit somewhere it's point a point b and once you were to lose that initiative to get it back would almost be impossible
0: yeah um it's got to keep flowing If, if we cut off the lifeline then um you cut off the lifeline and the life is going to end. So unless they keep getting the support and I would personally say more than they've been getting is what they need. Then, uh, like, like we've been saying that the war is not going to end anytime soon. No, no.
1: Well, Danny, mate, I really appreciate your time, man. Um, thanks. Thanks so Uh, much for chatting with me.
0: My pleasure, man. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Um, if there's anything I can ever do or, anybody I can put you in contact with, let me know, man. And, um, I'll get you those photos, videos over to you. Okay.
1: Awesome. Man. Now, is there anything you need to plug anywhere? People can follow you, support you, whatever, if you'd like.
0: Not really, man. Um, I would just say, Hey, there's, there's a lot of organizations out there that, that, that gives help to soldiers on the front, um, to, to volunteers, specifically, uh, people that don't have to be there. Um, Anybody that wants to get involved, by all means, uh, there's a protected volunteer, those concepts, places like that. Just uh, know the organization that you're getting a hold of, though. Don't just start throwing money out there to anybody.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's a lot of, um, lot of bullshit artists out there, mate.
0: Yeah, there is. Easy.
1: Well, brother, look, anytime um, you want to chat, whether online, offline, whatever, you, you guys... Just let me know you've got my number.
0: Definitely, man. It's been it's been great. I appreciate you talking with me. All
1: right. Thanks, brother. I'll speak to you soon.
0: All right. Have a good one.
1: Thanks. Bye bye.